All right, it's Justin and Ailish back on the Fan Morning Show. Blue Jays back in action down south, soaking in the sunshine, the smiles, the autographs, the palm trees. It's a nice life if you're Caitlin McGrath joining us live from Dunedin. Blue Jays reporter at The Athletic. How's it going, Caitlin? I'm good. How are you? We are swell. Um, we are just waiting for more information about Jose Barrios' outfit and his hair and his beard. And he's just a whole new guy, is he not? Yeah, the hair is something. I actually kind of like it. Um, <laughs> I, I joked with him that I wish I could pull off a platinum blonde, but uh, not not quite for me. The furthest I ever got was frosted tips when I played boys hockey. And we did, like, the streaks and everybody got, like, the, you know, the bleach. It was terrible. It was a terrible look. But uh, he's he's really owning it. And I guess he's doing that for the we're World Baseball re- We're going to have to revisit that, by the I way. I think we're not going to revisit that. that yeah. um, my mom dyed everyone's hair on the hockey team with those little caps. Anyway, nonetheless, um, you wrote a great piece at The Athletic about Jose Barrios' changes this offseason. Um, let's start with those mechanical adjustments. The list is long. It is a lengthy laundry list of things that he went through to change. Um, initially, I was... And I'll be honest, I don't really go through how much Jose Barrios changes every offseason. But for me, it seemed like a big, sizable change to his uh, mechanics. Is that how you view it as well? Yeah, I mean, it's not like he'll be throwing completely differently or anything. It's it's kind of just basically just trying to achieve more consistency. I think one of the big things that stood out to me was he really recognized, or him and the coaches, like after looking at his season and the numbers and everything, they really recognized that the release point um, was inconsistent. It was coming out at different spots um, throughout all his pitches. Um, and it was interesting. Like he talked a lot about how it's not like last year, he just like threw in the towel and just was like, whatever, this is not my year. Like he kept trying everything. We even like sort of asked him like, well, last year, were you changing things like on the rubber, like where you were standing? And he was like so much like all the time I was, you know, like, and, you probably could look back at games and it's like, you know, one side he's standing in the middle of the rubber. The next game he might be standing like more towards the third base side. Then it's like moving. So he does definitely was like trying everything last year. And, you know, for whatever reason, it was not working. So it definitely seems like he's in a good place right now. He seems to think that um, these changes will really help him. And it's notable that he also looks like he's a little bit ahead of some other guys just because he is going to the WDC um, and he has been working out at the Blue Jays facility basically since January. I think he didn't go home to Puerto Rico this year like he normally would. Um, so he stayed around um, the Tampa area. So he looks really good. And I think the Blue Jays are pretty optimistic about his season. The surface, surface level analysis of the season, I think, for the Blue Jays right now is that kind of Jose Brios holds the key. Like if he can have a bounce back season, if he can be the Brios that people expected him to be, well, that pitching staff's going to look pretty good. And in turn, the team should perform at a reasonably high level. Um, But based on last year where he was fighting it all season long and now going through this adjustment, I mean, I guess the question is how equipped is he psychologically to deal with the pressures of this season? Yeah, I mean, he also talked a little bit about that too. I mean, obviously when you're not having the season that you wanted last year, you can start to doubt yourself. Um, But it sounds like one thing he learned last year going through it was you got to believe in yourself. You got to believe in who you are, your skill set, what you did to get there. And, you know, he had this line like, I'm Jose Brios. Like, I've done a lot of good things. I'm here for a reason. And I kind of have to remember that. You know, I can't be on the mound and thinking the hitter's too good or like thinking the hitter's going to get me. Like, you can't give them too much credit. 
it's really hard to hit. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, it's very, very hard to hit a baseball. Um, so you have to remember that as a pitcher, like, most often than not, you have the advantage, um, and you got to believe in yourself out there. So I think he looks like he's confident, he's comfortable. I'm sure the offseason was good to get away from it um, and sort of start fresh on a new page. I think it also helps that, like, you have another guy here in the rotation, because mm-hmm. Fassett needs a lot of experience. So that's just another guy that the team can lean on, and so maybe it takes some pressure off of Rios. And I think also the fact that, like, Alec Manoa kind of emerged last year. Kevin Gosman is clearly the other kind of co-ace on the team along with Manoa. And so maybe some pressure does come off of Bruce. I mean, last year he was the opening day starter. He had just signed that huge contract. He doesn't talk about that stuff. And I think if you were to ask him, he would say, like, you know, that stuff didn't put any pressure on him. But it, it's it's hard to wonder how it could not, you know, be the guy that they just paid more than $100 million to pitch for them and, and open the opening day and all that kind of stuff. So um, I think this year he's just starting fresh. And like I said before, he looks like he's in a good place to me. I mean, that's extremely positive. I think everyone's been kind of holding their breath a little bit about what Jose Barrios' offseason looks like. Seems like he's taken it extremely serious, and uh, it'll be nice to see him refreshed as well. So uh, go stick with the pitchers. Uh, Mitch White, injured. He's fallen behind a little bit here with the starters this offseason. Um, I guess what the timeline is in your perspective of what Mitch White needs to go through before he gets back up to to being, you know, in the competition for a fifth starter and, and how's Kikuchi faring with the opportunity now that he might be slotted in there? Yeah, I think Mitch White is not too behind or anything. It doesn't no one with the Blue Jays are acting like it's serious or anything and Mitch White has been around. Um and so I assume that he'll be um throwing off a mound soon. It's not, he's not really going to be like too far behind. I mean, we're really just a few days into kind of the official pitcher and catchers having reported. Um, and so, and then today actually is the first official full team workout. Mm-hmm. So he's really not that much behind. Probably like at the end of the day, it's going to be a week or two. It is a longer spring training, um, at least this year, or maybe just a normal one. So many years past has been weird that I forgot what like a normal spring training is, like how long it is and everything. So, um, yeah, I think he'll still probably like somewhat figure into the fifth starter competition, but obviously I think his Kushi probably has the advantage. I think he already did, mostly because of the sort of like the pedigree that, you say Kikuchi has in the terms of his stuff that he possesses and also like the paycheck that he's getting. <laughs> the team wants to see what they have in the guy that they're playing $20 million for for the next two years. So I think Kikuchi was always going to win that fifth job. Um, honestly, I think Mitch Way will slot into the bullpen as a good long man option for them. Um, and yeah, Kikuchi, again, he seems like he's in a good place. Um, Blue Jays happy with what he did in the offseason. Um, and yeah, like I, I think it's still early. I think I heard that live BPs are going to start soon and that Kikuchi might be in there in the first couple of days. So we'll get a sense of how he looks against batters soon as well. Wow, two for two in positive strides with some of the, the Blue Jays pitchers that were giving us a little bit of hesitation. Let's see if we can go three for three. Uh, Gosman, Gavin Gosman, um, he's going to be facing some new MLB rule changes that uh, you know I think we've circled as, as something that he might deal with the most uh, difficulty in achieving some success. Um, what are some of the adjustments he's going to have to make in order to comply with some of these new rules? Yeah, so it's kind of like an old rule that has become somewhat more relevant again mm-hmm. because of the new rule. So 
it's interesting. Like when we talked to him a couple of days ago, he was aware of it, uh, but he hadn't really quite started figuring out how he's going to make the specific adjustments, or he at least didn't have the specifics to us what he's going to do. Essentially, it comes down to the foot tap that you'll often see him do before he throws a pitch. Um, and that can be mistaken for a balk under these. Um, well, I guess because of the pitch clock, operator is going to need to know when to stop the pitch clock. So there's going to be need to be an obvious like stopping motion where he comes to like a full stop sets and then throws the pitch. So I don't know, like the way that the Blue Jays have talked about it, like they've kind of not wanted to blown it out of proportion, mm-hmm. um, which is understandable. Like they're not going to be like running around freaking out. Like Kevin has to change everything. So everyone was very like calm and collected when they were talking about it. I was a little, to be honest, I was confused. I was like, so wait, like, can you, can you tap his foot at all? Like, what is this thing? So I, I'm kind of just needing to see it in action, I think, to mm. sort of fully understand. But as I understand it, like, the crux of the issue is basically there just needs to be a full stop, a clear stop. So the foot bouncing needs to stop. And then that's when he's going to have to, like, deliver the pitch. So there's going to have to be, like, a clear stop. Um, because I think with the foot bouncing, um, any one of those could be mistaken for, like, okay, this is the one where he's going to pitch. Um, and so that's, I think, what it comes down to. Just got to stop and then throw the pitch. Well, we know at least one um- umpire will be really, really looking forward to enforcing <laughs> that rule. Uh, George Springer is another key for this team uh, for this upcoming season, of course, and beyond. Uh, of course, it looks a little different for him potentially this year with a new lookout field and maybe a positional sort of shift for him. Uh, what's the vibe around Springer? How's he look? And uh, what do you, what's the sort of conversation piece around him preparing for this season? Yeah, he looks good. I mean, he um, he's he's typical George in a good mood all the time, um, smiling, laughing, joking, dancing, singing all the time with his teammates. So. Um, yeah, I mean, he honestly seemed very um, cool with the positional change. Didn't seem like a big deal. Um, you know, I talked to Kevin Kiermaier a couple of days ago, and they met each other, I think, at some point in the offseason, like ran into each other at the um, facility and, you know, talked it through. And, and Kevin Kiermaier was very careful to say, like, you know, he really wanted to make sure that George would be okay with the positional change. And, you know, when George talked to us and even the coaches, when they've talked about it, it was like, George was like, yep, as long as it's going to make us better, like I'm cool with it. Like very, very team first um, sort of attitude. So, yeah, I mean, the, the good thing with George is when he spoke to us the last couple of weeks, um, he said he's healthy, right? That was the big thing that we're all wondering. Obviously the elbow was a huge issue for him last year. Honestly, a bigger, bigger issue than I think, they let on um, in the sense that they never really wanted to sort of detail what was happening. They just kind of called it um, inflammation or just pain or whatever, whatever sort of way they used to describe it. But obviously it was a pretty sizable bone spur in there um, to the point where George told me like sometimes he couldn't even hold his arm out straight because the bone spur was like in the way kind of thing. Um, So yeah, it was, it was really hampering him I think and like he kind of joked to us like I learned pretty quickly it's hard to play baseball with a bad arm so he has a good arm now and that's very important he seems like he's in a really good place again um I know everything is just everyone's in the best shape of their life and everyone's in a good place right now <laughs> but that's what springs about I guess 
Um, okay, so with some of the new additions, as Justin mentioned, in the outfield and Springer um, feeling his best that he has in, in hopefully a while, what's the ideal deployment for him in terms of his workload, him in the batting order and maybe taking DH days, um, and how are they going to deal with the extra bodies, which is a nice luxury to have, um, and getting them all worked in there in that outfield? Yeah, I mean, well, George is definitely the leadoff guy. That's who he is, and he'll continue to be the leadoff man because he's one of the best there is at it. Um, and, yeah, the DH days are interesting because they do now have, have Brandon Belt, who is kind of going to be a regular DH with this team. They haven't had that in a few years. In the last couple of years, they've really used the DH as more uh, a place to rotate guys through. George obviously spent um, quite a bit of time at DH last year, just given what he was dealing with with his elbow. So uh, I would expect they're still going to be able to cycle that DH through a little bit. I think that you're going to see Brandon Belt there a lot, especially against righties. Um, But if there's opportunities to get Kirk's bad in the lineup because Danny's playing really well and you want Kirk in there too, that's going to be able to happen. Then you're going to have like a guy like Brandon Belt to come off the bench. So I think that there's a lot of flexibility with it. I think that they um, just have a lot of different options now, which is nice. They haven't necessarily had that in years past in terms of, and I mean options like different options, variety, mixing in some left-handed bats. You have Varsho as well and Kiermaier, like I mentioned, they're both lefties. So I think that um, that's kind of something that John Schneider maybe almost seems excited about, like that his lineup can look different this year. It's not just like righty, 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 righty. Uh, we're talking to Caitlin McGrath, Blue Jays reporter at The Athletic. So John Schneider, as you, well, you didn't mention, but he is saving lives out there in Dunedin. Uh, but he's also running uh, training camp for the first time. And I'm wondering in what ways uh, the scenes there in Dunedin are different or very much the same compared to last season. Yeah, I mean, he talked a lot about trying to have some intensity to the camps. And he's talked a lot about about everyone being very mindful and deliberate with their work. Like don't just go through the motions um, when you're doing these drills or doing whatever you need to be doing. Just do it very deliberately, take care, um, pay attention to what you're doing. And so we've definitely seen some good energy in the early days of camp. I mean, it's hard for me to say if it's any different from last year. It was a long time ago now. And, and last year was weird too, because it was condensed. Um, we had the lockout, so everything was a bit more scrambled, I think, to get everyone ready. Um, but, yeah, we've seen some good energy. The last couple of days, the fans have been there um, for the first time in a while. And so players have been – and staff have been excited to see them. The guys have made an effort to go over and sign autographs and mm. say hello to the fans. And so I think that's also, like, lifted the mood of camp um, the last couple of days as well, just, like, having the fans around and stuff. So – yeah, but the intensity seems to be there. It's interesting, like, they're, the guys are... Everyone, I think, is also just sort of focusing on the here and now. I think last year there was a lot of talk about, you know, we're World Series favorites, we're, uh, you know, there was a lot that was going on there. Everybody remembers sort of, like, the famous Vlad mm-hmm. quote that he said about movie, and obviously this year, hey, you know, he, he was still smiling when he said it, but he was kind of smartly, I think he learned to say, yeah, I'm not saying anything. Let's just see what happens kind of thing. So, yeah, I do get the sense that the guys are, it's like one year older, one year mature. Like, I think that everyone's just kind of focusing on here and now, let's get prepped for the season, but like, let's not get ahead of ourselves kind of thing. 
Um, any early Don Mattingly effects if you've noticed or how the vibe has been with him, such a veteran presence and a guy with obviously so much experience working with John Schneider in his first year of a full spring training? Yeah, um, so far, like I think coaches are so busy in these opening days that it's hard to um, kind of see. Like I'm hoping to talk to Don in a couple of days just to kind of get to know him a little bit. But uh, I know he's just still trying to get like the lay of the land in terms of Blue Jays camp, how it goes now that all the position players are here and, and official camp is starting. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Vladdy has been working with him a lot. Um, a few days ago, Vladdy said he's already gotten a lot of advice from him um and i think just having him there his presence guys um can learn a lot from him and so i think in the next few days we'll kind of see his impact a little more like his camp gets going um and it's all the position players now are here and can start working with him how about this home run jacket uh conversation now maybe maybe on its way out maybe not just something we've taken as a quote and blown out of proportion but seems like john schneider might be interested in uh moving on from that yeah, I think that, I mean, I don't know that I want to, like, make a huge deal out of it. What but it that's means, what we like, do here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, it does sound like there's a little bit of maybe just fatigue of it. Like, they have had it for two years now. or um, Well, it's more like a season and a half because I think it came midway through 2021. But it has been a thing that they've done for the last two seasons, basically. It's kind of been a, a hallmark of their team um, but their team's kind of different now, um, and so maybe it's time to change things up a little bit, um, to retire the jacket, and to find something new. It's, maybe it's just time. Like the the jacket has had its time in the sun, and now the team is moving on. Um, but yeah, John Schneider's quote it was interesting to me because it it maybe kind of underlined his philosophy where little things really matter and details matter and. Um, it's not just about celebrating the home runs. It's about like celebrating when like a guy takes an extra base or like when a guy, you know, makes a smart play or makes, a, you know, a sound defensive play. Like I think that that's sort of the message he was sending. So home runs still want to be celebrated, but like maybe there's a new way the team can, can highlight those while also highlighting those other moments. Caitlin, I'm surveying all Blue Jays reporters on the food scene in Dunedin in search of a Dunedin delicacy. Is there something you looked forward to uh, indulging with <laughs> when you got back to Dunedin this spring? Oh, um, not really. Um, I, that's a good question. I mean, Dunedin has a lot of good spots. It's a very cute little downtown, a cute little place. Someone someone was um, holding some popcorn the other day. I guess there's like a popcorn mm store like shop where they have like all these different flavors um like every flavor you can think of so that might be one i haven't checked that one out yet but once games start and we're in dunedin like the stadium is more downtown dunedin so once we're there a little bit more often i might go downtown and check out some of those spots maybe the popcorn spot i'll get back to you all right we'll we'll check in with you in a couple weeks see how the food is and how the boys are buzzing down there because the vibes seem to be really really great so we appreciate you filling us in on that and uh, enjoy the next couple days of course thank you guys that's Kayla McGrath, Blue Jays reporter at The Athletic. And she said Blue Jays are, I believe, all coming in today for the first real appearance of a full squad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like the vibe for Blue Jays reporters and any really baseball reporter is interesting because it's like, okay, you're exiting winter, but you're starting on this long march of everyday grind. Like it's, it's probably bittersweet.
But I mean, she's in Florida for like a while. It's, it's nice. nice. I could really I could, good. We could do the show like for Florida. Like a half winter every year. I could do the show for Florida. Yeah, you probably I'd be could. all right with that. Um, all right, it's time for something to chew on brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. It is not the popcorn from Dunedin, but close. Lots of chews. 32 Thoughts of Podcast just keeps providing tidbits for us, our friends. <laughs> Chewing a lot lately here. Yeah, they, they're hungry for info here. Um, <laughs> so, Elliot and our guy, Jeff Merrick, provided... Both an, our guys. Provided an update for Timo Meyer and the market. Leafs effectively took themselves out of the market for Meyer with O'Reilly deal, but New Jersey, Carolina, Vegas, and possibly Winnipeg... Who beat your team last night? Thanks. It's tough. Well, I lost too. Don't worry. Um, apparently in the mix. Here's Elliot on the market right now for Timo Meyer. See, with Toronto being out, I don't think they were the number one contender or even the number two contender, but they were in the race. And they were a bit more of a long shot, but they were there. Everybody seems to think here that New Jersey is not only the most likely place that he ends up if you're handicapping it but what someone said to me was they're probably the place that needs him the most you know who's left standing here is jersey obviously and jersey wants an extension as part of this carolina is still there so that's number two and i do wonder about vegas it makes a lot of sense for them but the other team i do wonder about is winnipeg now I think this is a year they should be going for it. I think they've got a good team in a wide-open Western Conference. And what Winnipeg could do if they wanted was they could trade for Meyer because they can do it, and they could basically decide we're rebuilding our entire team around him or our front line around him. Speaking of Vegas, last night the Golden Knights placed Mark Stone on LTIR, creating... $9.5 million in cap space. So eyeball emojis. It's a big chunk of change. Eyeball emojis towards Timo Meyer, Maybe Patrick Kane as well. Because that's a lot of money. And he has been rumored to be of an interest to the Vegas Golden Knights. All four of those teams make sense for Meyer. Not all four, I don't think, make sense for Patrick Kane. Although, maybe it really doesn't matter about Patrick destination. Patrick Kane is red hot right like, now. Like not we, washed at all. We think we figured it was like it had to be a major market or it had to be this for Patrick Kane. I mean, maybe he could surprise us a little bit. Mm. But Jersey, Carolina, and Winnipeg being in on Timo Meyer makes all the sense in the world. Like I'm scared of Carolina. Jersey and Carolina are up against the cap, but there is a lot of cap yep. flexibility there. Like they can figure it out. And I think if you're trading for Timo Meyer, the expectation should be that you're looking to sign a long-term deal. You have the qualifying offer route. You have control over this asset. So if you're not a team that's capped out like the Leafs are with a bunch of stars already, mm-hmm. you should be aggressively trying to get this guy. I think Winnipeg makes a lot of sense. They're kind of retiring a bit of the older regime. They are, you know, they, they found another little pocket of relevancy clearly with this season, but they could use a shot in the arm from a superstar status level. But Jersey and Carolina, it just feels like it makes too much sense. Let me give you my early wake and rake gut feeling right now. Early one. Okay. Chicago Blackhawks at home versus the Vegas Golden Knights. One of Patrick Kane's last possible ever home games for the Chicago Blackhawks against a team who has now a bunch of cap space mm-hmm. and who has been rumored to be interested in you. Okay, what's the play then? I don't know. Just Patrick Kane, shots? everything over. Smash Kane shots, over, Kane over, goal? over. Six goals. Six goals. Probably tonight. He just got three, double it. 
Triples is best. I mean, I, I definitely think there's something there. You might be a little bit aggressive, but Patrick Kane showing out Tonight on home ice. Tonight could be a big Patty Kane night. Trying to send, you know, right. someone. There'll be tons of people that'll be seeing him for the last time, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I feel like he recognizes that this is an important little stretch here, and I, I, I'm i with you. I think he has a good night. Okay. I don't know if it's a six-goal night, but it could be a six-shot night. All right. Well, that is going to definitely be part of my wake and rake pick. Okay. But send those in at 590-590. you got a full slate of NHL, including that one and your Maple Leafs. On the road against the Buffalo Sabres as well. No NBA for a couple more days as they're on the All-Star break. But Neil, paging Neil, and all of our friends that have alternative picks. And, yeah, paging specialists. like AHL uh, yesterday, yeah. my buddy Steve from Sutton smashed it with the Marlies. And then we blew it, so... That's on us, but the text line is we'll always right. Out. Tough start, but we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Carl Gunnarsson on the other side of the break, obviously uh, a Stanley Cup champ with Ryan O'Reilly, a former Maple Leaf as well. We're going to chat with him about the newest boy in the blue and white. That's next. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ailish yeah. and Justin. Uh, see, it doesn't work. Doesn't sound as good, eh? No. Uh, Put the men first. <laughs> no, we can't. We got <laughs> to stop. Why did I open the door? Why did I open the door? Let's open the door for our next guest, who we caught up with yesterday. But just, I want to just say for a second, our guy Danielle has been killing it. What, Matt Sundin last week? Honestly. Brian O'Reilly yesterday. Great interview. I suggest that you go back and listen to it, podcast, if you get a chance. Yo, I text, I messaged Brian O'Reilly and he big leagued me. Did he? I I sent him a nice message on Twitter. He's so I think busy. He's, he's, too probably, he's probably just now. not on. He's probably just not on Twitter. He's so popular. I just want him to know that we loved that interview and it was catching steam online for every right reason. He's an amazing guy. Yeah, one of my favorites so far. He was great. And if you love the interview, go check it. Or if you want to know what we were talking about, yeah. If you love the interview, go it's check it out yesterday. Interview. <laughs> I wonder if There's it had to be. I wonder if it had to be edited out. at all. Uh, either way, it was great, and uh, we suggest you go back and listen to that. But Please for do. now, stick around because we have a former teammate of Carl Gunnarsson, a former Maple Leaf, Carl Gunnarsson. We caught up with him yesterday. Here's that discussion now. Ryan O'Reilly acquired by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, this is a big, big move for draft picks going the other way to St. Louis. But really, uh, for the Maple Leafs and Maple Leafs fans, it's about what type of person the Toronto Maple Leafs are getting in your former teammates. So what type of guy is Ryan O'Reilly and what are the Maple Leafs getting in Ryan O'Reilly? Yeah, he's he's a full-on professional on and off the ice. A great guy in the locker room, but, you know, what he brings on the ice, uh, it's just accountability. Uh, He can make plays, but he's also, you know, he won the Selkie um, 19, right? Um, So he's a good two-way guy. And uh, just in the room, I think he's just, he's a leader uh, in the community and the team on and off the ice and uh, just a great overall guy. So the leadership qualities are something that we've heard from, from quite a few people that we've spoken to. Um, that's kind of an intangible thing. You don't see that on the score sheet. So what does he do in the locker room or how does he carry himself? Like what kind of, um, you know, off the ice things does he do that maybe you don't even notice? Like it's just when you're around him, you know that he's a different type of leader. What can you speak on in terms of him as the leader? Well, he seems to, you know, care about every guy in the locker room, make sure you're feeling good, 
and <laughs> the funny thing, you, you'll notice this if you watch practice, and, and his skill level is it's something else. You know, he's a good player. You know that when you're playing against him, but as soon as he joins your team, you see him every day, the, the work that he puts in night after night and after practice, he'll be the first guy on. He'll be the last guy leaving practice, just working on skills, stick handling, shots, whatever it might be. And he'll get the younger guys to jump in there too. So he makes sure he's making sure everyone's on their toes, trying to get better every day. It's just the little things. And, uh, well, this year, I guess, been tough on the score sheet, but you know, he brings a ton of other things too. Like I said, he's a great two way player too. And, uh, you know he's just going to show up there every night. If he can't, if he can't get on the score sheet, he'll he'll make sure he's got a solid, uh, solid night defensively. So, and in the faceoff circle too, you know he's got some good stats there. Um, so just all around. But but you know if you go down and watch practice and you, you stick around for a bit, you'll see that extra work he puts in every day, and it's it's uh, it's amazing. He does some quirky stuff, right? Like we're talking to Brian yesterday, his father, who has worked with him for a long time in the summer. They got some uh, different training methods. Does he have guys doing some some weird stuff, uh, whether it's before or after practice? He's known for taking a different approach to skill development. Uh, was he able to spread that yeah. around the St. Louis Blues team? I mean, he's got his own little routine going before games and before practice, too. And, um Guys might not want to, you know, jump on board with that right away, but all the the other stuff that he's doing, you know, stick work after practice on the ice. I think uh, a lot of guys will see that, um, you know, his hands are really good. And uh, as soon as guys kind of catch up to that, they, they want to do what he's doing, especially the, the younger kids will be like, oh, wow, he's really putting in an effort here to, to get better every day. And I think that that's going to show. Okay, so maybe some of the training stuff, but did anyone copy that curve of his? That's that's a, that's a different approach. Uh, did anyone try to re, uh, re- repeat or replicate what he's doing with the curve? And what was the explanation for that toe? I don't know, to be honest. I, I think a couple of guys try to stick, but just no one can handle that. And and it's it's really different, yeah. But it gives him a good backhand, too, and just... I don't know how he actually handles the puck with that thing, but uh, it, it, it's different for sure. Uh, we'll see if some guy catches on it, but uh, I, I couldn't really believe it when I first saw it. Uh, it's something different, and I don't think anyone else got anything even even close to it. I want to circle back on the leadership point because if Ryan O'Reilly exited the game tomorrow, uh, he the chapter of the Blues winning the Stanley Cup in 2019 going from worst to first in the end uh, would be the stuff of legends. Uh, and I, of course it's a full team effort. You deserve a lot of credit for it just as anyone else on the team deserves a lot of credit for it. But when you think about that run and you think about how it pertains to Ryan O'Reilly, how did he help inspire and spearhead that turnaround for the St. Louis blues in t- 2019 going from the last place team to hoisting the Stanley cup? I mean, there, there's a couple of things that stand out. Um, we had Jordan Bennington come in that year and which is lights out from, you know, January until the last game. Um, we had a fourth line in the playoffs that was just amazing. And then of course, Ryan was another piece that which is, you know, the other teams just couldn't get a grip on him. And that, that line he had too, which is leading the way uh, defensively and offensively. He, he was just putting up place every night and, yeah, he was one, a core piece. Like you said, everyone plays their part, but he played a huge part in that win. So um, 
I'd say him, that fourth line, and uh, and Binnington, which is, you know, they, they st- stand out a little bit more than, than the rest, yeah. Hey, don't sell yourself short. OT winner in game two <laughs> against the Bo- uh, Boston Bruins. Uh, we remember that one, too. You're a big part of it. Um, we want to talk about your time, obviously, with the Leafs in terms of what Ryan O'Reilly might be entering in terms of, you know, this market is a bit spicy at times. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe some advice or some some thoughts on just joining a market with high expectations and a guy that obviously can handle pressure and can handle being um, expected to do a lot for a team. I think that's the way he's going to fit in here. But just what that what that might be a difference between coming from St. Louis to Toronto. Yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll get judged every game uh, in a different way than, than over here. Or in St. Louis, um, it's going to take some getting used to. I mean, he's from Toronto, so he might know a little bit more going into it than I did. But um, yeah, it, it's going to be a different experience for sure. But for him, I think it's going to be good too. It's going to be, you know, uh, home turf for him and uh, a lot of family around, probably a lot of friends. So it's it's you know end of the season here, just going into the playoffs. It's going to be. Whatever is going to happen, I think he's just going to see this little stretch like a really fun time. Uh, and it might be tough, but I think he's so professional in handling uh, those types of situations that um, he'll he'll come out fine. But for sure, it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, we're chatting with Carl Gunnarsson, who uh, used to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs, won a Stanley Cup with Ryan O'Reilly with the St. Louis Blues like he has his things that he can rely on, right? He can rely on that defensive shutdown ability. He can rely on his leadership qualities, but what is his greatest value? Do you think that he'll bring to the Maple Leafs? How can he change what has been the same result over and over and over again for the Leafs? What is the factor with the factor? (laughs) Yeah, the factor. Um, I think his competitiveness, it it, it just, I had a fun time, you know, in, in practice against him he loves to compete and he won't give up on, on on a puck on a loose puck. He'll just chase that down and he'll do anything to win. Uh, and and that's, you know, like I said before, if if it's not on the score sheet, he's going to find another way to set up his teammates in a good spot, whether, you know, making plays or just shutting the other team's first line out. He'll do whatever it takes. Um, and I think that that edge is gonna, you know, help the Leafs um, a ton. That might be uh, a big part of going forward and, uh, you know, taking that next step for them. Uh, as I mentioned, we talked to his father yesterday, uh, and he was talking about winning culture and positivity and what it means to be a team. Uh, and it's probably pretty safe to assume that the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree in terms of the environment that Ryan O'Reilly is trying to cultivate how did he help mm-hmm. set up a positive environment, a winning environment? What does what steps does he take to help address what could be, you know, issues in the room or just trying to create the best possible environment for winning and success? I think the mentality of uh, <clears throat> looking uh, yourself in the mirror first uh, when things go bad and not just trying to find excuses that the coaches are not playing you or whatever it might be. Uh, some recent interviews with, with the team in St. Louis struggling, you know, he takes it upon himself that, you know, I got to be better. Uh, I got to do more. And uh, I think that mentality, just try to focus on your own thing and try to help your teammates out uh, and set them up in a good way as possible uh, before, you know, try to find any excuse 
which is very easy sometimes, but he, he's not he's not taking the easy route there. He's trying to get better and make everyone else around him better too. So you spent uh, some days, I'm sure, celebrating with Byron O'Reilly. Um, you spent some time on the road. You mm-hmm. spent some time at home. There's got to be a best untold story or something that you can just <laughs> give us an insight into maybe the type of Ryan O'Reilly that we don't see in front of the media, something fun, something different that you, you enjoy when you think back about your time with Ryan. <laughs> I wish I had one right <laughs> off the bat, but you kind of caught me off guard with that one. Um, uh, yeah, you have to give me a little time to right. think about that one. We'll have you back on. Uh, you think you, you ponder yeah, that yeah. one. You let us know. <laughs> Absolutely. Or, or we can circle back at the end of interview if something mm. uh, comes up. Uh, I think St. Louis' role is interesting in this, uh, Doug, Doug Armstrong in particular. I mean, he was kind of criticized mm-hmm. and questioned when he let Alex Petrangelo leave to the Vegas Golden Knights. And now, uh, not to say that he's made up his mind or didn't want Ryan O'Reilly around, but they're turning over a new leaf there in St. Louis. But I think he earned a lot of respect yeah. this time around letting Ryan have some say in this and letting him end up where he might have wanted to go or where he felt he was most valued. What kind of, is that Doug Armstrong? Is that the Doug Armstrong you know? And uh, what does it say about sort of where the organization is going, where the organization is headed, that uh, not only did they make the decision to move on from Ryan, uh, but they're kind of in in in, in the direction or in the mode of kind of tearing down the 2019 Stanley Cup champions. Yeah, um, I mean, it hasn't been smooth sailing since uh, since 2019 with COVID hitting and everything and then playing in the bubble. A lot of things have happened. And uh, just talking about Doug Armstrong, I, I think it goes, you know, case to case, uh, how we act. And if he's asking guys, um, obviously, uh, his status too, the Ryan O'Reilly's status, he, he probably want to have a say and they probably got a better connection than, than uh, a lot of the players do with, with Doug. But um, yeah, it's been weird. A lot of guys are just moving on and, you know, Tarasenko a couple of weeks ago, um, things are happening and they're, they're trying to build something new, which is not easy. It's a little bit different game than just, you know, four years ago. So uh, uh, try to find something different. I know Doug is not one to just blow it all up in one piece. So try to add a little bit, uh, at a time. Um, so we'll see. I, I think he, he doesn't like, and he, he waited a long time and seems like they don't really have a shot at the playoffs right now. Um, so it might be a good time to, to, uh, you know, try to do something else here and, uh, open the, the, the page to, to, uh, to a new chapter here. Um, but we'll see what's going to happen. If anything, if anything more is going to pop out out of there, but, um, yeah, something new is going to, it's gonna, you know, um, show itself in St. Louis in the in the next couple of years here. I think this might be a different, or this might be a difficult answer. But actually, you might have the perfect perspective here because you started your career with the Toronto Maple Leafs, at least at the NHL level, and things have changed. Of course, with the franchise, I mean, they've got someone new mm-hmm. in charge of it with Brendan Shanahan. A lot of things with the Maple Leafs have changed, but it felt like back then there was a real reluctance to be a Toronto Maple Leaf. And Ryan O'Reilly doesn't speak for everyone, but he's really excited about being a Toronto Maple Leaf. And I get he has that hometown tie, but we've seen guys like John Tavares, Wayne Simmons, Joe Thornton. A lot of big names have gravitated to Toronto recently. And I know you haven't been in Toronto recently, but 
do you think things have changed? Perception, optics, the want to be a Toronto Maple Leaf has maybe changed since when you were a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs and now watching some players at least gravitate towards what is now more of a winning environment than it was at least uh, in your early seasons. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, for the last, I don't know, five, six years maybe, I uh, feel like the Leafs have been been a really good team. They've been a contender. It's just, you know, they got something going in Toronto and everyone's excited about it. And uh, they've been falling short. Um, you know, that first round thing is just... But I guess, too, like if you're a player, you want to go to Toronto because something is happening there. They, they might have a good thing going. What if I'm the piece that they're missing? And, you know, you take that next step, then, that, you know, you're going to be, wouldn't say a legend in Toronto because that takes a little bit more, but um, you're going to be remembered for, for a bit there. And uh, I think that kind of pushes guys to go there, too. You know, and, and if you can make something good happen in Toronto, then, you know, happy days. Uh as tough as it is there with the media, you know, uh, if things go well, it, it, it might go really well for you. So, um, yeah, it, it has changed, and I think it's for the better, too. They play some style of hockey and a lot of, lot of skilled guys, and the game itself has kind of changed, too, since I left there. Um, so I think they, they got something going, and the guys really want to go there. And, you know, it's a great city, too, so um, why not? Yeah, I mean, there's a, certainly an invigoration around this weekend's move and having Ryan O'Reilly, we talked to his father, as we mentioned, and he was so overjoyed to have him um, back in the back in the city and in the blue and white and said it was kind of like a, a pinch me moment, a dream come true. So with all that being said, it seems like there's an excitement around it and uh, we're excited to see this chapter. Uh, Carl, appreciate you joining us this morning for the insight from both the Maple Leaf and the Blues perspective on your former teammate. Um, wish you well and, and thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Happy days. I'm kind of, I think I'm paraphrasing it, but that may be my favorite quote ever in an interview. If you could make it happen in Toronto. Let's cut that. Happy days. There is happy days. There are happy days ahead if you can make it happen in Toronto. Yeah. We're waiting on that a little bit. Gunsy. You think that was it? Gunner or Gunsy? Probably Gunner. I think probably person. Gunner. We, have, like we gunner. have our Gunsy. It's tough. There's too many Gunsies and Gunners <laughs> in the sports world here. Yes. We have ours. Um, okay, so we were discussing Toronto Raptors grades at the All-Star break. Bit of a hard pivot here. Yeah, but uh, we got to do it because we promised we would get through all of them and we have a little bit, bit of space right now. So we started with giving grades for Scotty, Fred, Pascal, and OG. You can go back and listen to that in our 6 o'clock hour if you've missed it. But the, Second plug for the podcast. That's right. Minutes. Go check Hell it out, yeah. folks. Um, we do have uh, quite a few left, so let's just roll right into it. Um, coaching. As I mentioned, my grades are going to get worse and worse. Would you like to go first? Uh, yeah, in, in hindsight, I might be a little high with a C-. minus. Um Listen, Nick Nurse has not extracted more from the sum of the parts this year. He maybe has previously. He hasn't this year. This has been a bad defensive team, and I think he's partly to blame for Scotty Barnes' early season struggles and Fred's inconsistencies. Uh, and a- another like little window into maybe what is going wrong, at least in terms of like this organization functioning properly, we saw that when Masai Ujiri spoke after the deadline when he said, yeah, we want to see more minutes for the guys who are on the bench. Like mm-hmm. That's clearly... Uh, clearly something that Nick Nurse overlooks in his want to win basketball games and put his best lineups onto the floor in the moment. But this is still a developmental league in many ways. 
And Masai Ujiri is not seeing the development he wants from the bench and from reserve players. So I think uh, you can dock some marks there. I, I, I think it's, you know, probably Nick Nurse's worst season. C-minus seems like a fair assessment. So I got C-minus as well. A um, couple extra reasons. I agree with everything you said, but I think he's become a bit of point of contention in terms of him as a coach and the sideline antics and the frustration that we have sometimes as fans of just like it's uh, this is a bit much. Running your starters into the ground, that's a controllable thing from your coach, and that's been an issue. That's part of the reason why some of my grades were lower for starters because there's really no other option, but there is an option maybe to give your players some development off the bench, and he hasn't had much trust in them and hasn't given them an opportunity to earn the trust. So a bit of a conundrum there. Um, we've had rumors about players not being happy playing. Maybe that's like where would that come from? Could be at your coaching, could be part of your role that you're being put in. Has he lost the room? We had that conversation at some points as well. Um, you have a talented team. Everybody wanted their, basically their entire starting lineup at the trade deadline. And you can't extract some wins and some more of a positive season from last year. I think a lot of that falls onto the coaching. So I'm at uh, C minus as well. I think that's fair. I think we're finally on board with one. Um, okay. Front office. It feels like I should be, I don't know if I should be lower, but I am lower on the front office and the coaching staff. Uh, I gave a D plus to the front office. D plus. Uh, Otto Porter. Brutal. uh, Maybe a little bit of uh, misfortune here, but he's been an abject disaster. He's been unavailable. Uh, The Thad's decision-making has been weak. Um, I think finally the front office was kind of pushed into a corner Mm -hmm. and, and finally made a move acquiring Jakob Pertle, but all the Pertle edition does in addition to short-term benefit is to put them in a real precarious position entering the summer. It feels like this front office is reluctant to take a hard line to really determine what they are. They're kind of floating and hoping fingers crossed fingers crossed is not a nece- <laughs> not necessarily a great place to be when you are a general manager or you are a president and you are making decisions for a high-level basketball team. So I, I can't really see... I can't really see any any reason to give them a passing grade. Like, it's it's. It, I don't think it's been a good year for Masai Ujiri. I don't think it's been a good run for Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster. And yeah, they can redeem themselves surely with, uh, with a strong offseason and putting this team on the path to at least a define destination but right now i think they're floating in the wind and i don't give you marks for floating in the wind i give them a c minus slash incomplete because this offseason is going to either go back with an eraser and you change your grade or you double down in a sharpie and you just really cross this thing out because they are risking so much with this offseason with gary fred now Jakob pertle's futures they got worse this year yeah. And their idea was to run it back. And, and they it, added one guy who isn't an impact player. And the the whole idea is, seems to have backfired. So it, you can't a, be passing. You're it's right. okay to get worse if... If that's your plan. If that's the plan and you know where but you want to go. I think they're just like... It's always been murky what the plan is. Okay, we can pull that card. We can pull that lever and get a center finally and maybe make us better. But that's like... It seems like kind of a move somewhat born out of desperation. I don't mm-hmm. know where it, it lands them. Uh, I just feel like, uh, yeah, the the... Compared to what they have done before, if you add that context, it's it's got to be in the range that we give them. It's a pretty brutal report card so far. Um, we're going to fill in the rest of it with offense, defense, player development, and bench. 
it's like it's getting much better um, from my viewpoint as a so teacher in this uh, grading. But that's uh, we'll do that after we talk to Andrew Peters on the other side of the break, former NHL forward coach of After the Whistle podcast, Maple Leafs on the road, the battle of the QEW tonight facing the Buffalo Sabres. Let's get his pulse on that team. Tage Thompson's banner year, maybe the Arizona Matthews connection, how he sees that playing in. And of course, what he thinks of this team with Ryan O'Reilly back in the mix against his former Buffalo Sabres squad. That's next on the Fan Morning Show.